1: This is the Travelling Image Makers podcast and I'm your host Tuguche. You can find all the show notes and links for this episode at ttim.photos/26. Please remember if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes it helps us a lot. And now let's listen to this week's interview. Thank you very much and enjoy the show. So my guest today is uh, Sean Bagshaw, a great uh, travel uh, nature landscape photographer who recently has been to a couple of really amazing and remote places. I was reading recently his article where he uh, talked about his travel to, to Patagonia and he mentioned that he would soon go to Easter Island after that. So I, uh, I waited until Sean was back from his trips to, to interview him and he generously accepted to be our guest today. So let me introduce uh, Sean Bagshaw. Hi, Sean. How are you?
0: Hey, go. I'm great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: And uh where where are you now exactly?
0: So I live in Ashland, Oregon, so I'm at home in my uh my home office and uh it's a nice town uh in the southern end of Oregon right near the California border.
1: Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, who is uh, Sean Bankshaw? What is your story as a photographer?
0: Sure. Uh, like you said, I'm a uh, outdoor landscape and nature and travel photographer, and I also do a lot of photography education, mostly around Photoshop, but also a lot of workshops in the field, and uh, you know, leading people on uh, photo tours as well. And I got into photography. Really, kind of through the back door, I think, which is probably true for a lot of people. I didn't know I was interested in photography. When I was younger, I was interested in adventuring outdoors. So, backpacking, mountaineering, rock climbing. And I began taking photographs of the things I was doing as a way to, um, be able to just have documentation of the places I was going and the things I was seeing and the people I was doing it with and the more I did it the more I realized I really enjoyed just the photography as an art and I eventually just kind of transitioned to doing photography more than a lot of those other activities or doing them in conjunction so uh that's really what got me into photography and then eventually I was I guess, got serious enough about it that I left my job as a middle school science and math teacher and started my photography business. And I've been doing that now uh, for about 12 years.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I was about to ask, how long have you been doing it seriously? So you already answered that question. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, thanks for being here today. And thanks for your for your time. And as I said, I would like to, to tell us a bit about Patagonia, that is this... Uh, part of the world that uh many photographers right now have uh on their map on the radar or have been to i've seen some uh some people recently i think uh, colby brown was there i i guess you know colby like who doesn't yeah and yeah. <laughs> uh, so can, can you tell us about your um your trip to patagonia you were there to co-lead the photo tour is that right
0: that's right. Yeah. I, I work a lot with uh, a colleague. His name's Christian Hebe, and he owns and runs the Cascade Center of Photography in Bend, Oregon. Uh, Christian and his wife, regular are, are, are from Switzerland. They're Swiss, but they now live in the United States and are U.S. citizens, and they run the the Cascade Center out of Bend. And I do a lot of uh, teaching photoshop cl- classes at the cascade center of photography and then also they organize a lot of different trips to all parts of the world and i go and work with them on some of those trips and so this was one of those
1: where exactly is patagonia for so the Pat- few people that yeah. don't know maybe
0: yeah, yeah. That was, you know, Patagonia was a real mythic place to me. Uh, I first became interested in it when I was in my probably late teens, early 20s when I was in college. And I was doing a lot of reading about the history of mountaineering and rock climbing around the world. And some of the most uh death-defying and crazy climbing adventures I would read about were in South America in Patagonia. But like you said, I, for a long time, didn't really know where Patagonia was or what it was. But Patagonia is the southern region of South America. Uh, It encompasses parts of both Chile and Argentina. And um, it's kind of everything, well, uh, maybe like the bottom Third of South America, that kind of pointy tip of it. And it's called Patagonia. Uh, so I've found just by researching because uh, the explorer Magellan, when he first came to that part of South America, ran into th- what they think must have been the native indigenous people at the time uh, who were taller than Europeans. But I think he embellished his story a bit and he called them Patagon, which apparently means giant. So Patagonia was land of the giants. And when he went back to Europe, he told everyone about this land of giants. And, of course, when people followed him there later, uh, they found some people who were tallish, but certainly not giants. So, But that's why I heard it's called Patagonia.
1: And it's a huge region. Is that right?
0: It is very, very large, yes. Um, from the very tip of Tierra del Fuego... All the way up to the northern reaches of what would be considered the Patagonia region is probably about, oh, uh, you know, maybe fifteen hundred miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, it's quite a quite a large part of South
1: America. And being so, when did you go there exactly?
0: So I was there, uh, kind of the middle two weeks in March this okay. year.
1: So. That part of the world would be autumn, and that's pretty far south. How how is the climate there at that time of the year? Is it cold?
0: Um, Well, it's probably the warmest and driest uh, time of year Mm -hmm. to be there, because it's the end of their summer and beginning of their fall. So for the northern hemisphere, yeah, it's similar to uh, September, I guess. Um, But – all the way, the furthest south that that I went on this trip was Punta Arenas, which is on the Strait of Magellan. Uh, so not all the way to the very southern tip, but pretty close. And it's kind of like Alaska or northern Canada down there. And so even, you know, on a warm day, you it's still fairly cool and lots of wind and lots of extreme weather. Um, so like I said, we were there probably when the the weather was at at the best, but um, still, that's not like uh, more temperate climates. But then as we moved north, so we traveled um, the direct driving distance that we did. So we drove overland north from Punta Arenas through Patagonia to a town called Puerto Montt in Chile at the northern end of Patagonia. And it's about 1,200 miles if you drive straight. Uh, we did over 3,000 miles of driving because we took a very circuitous path, but um, as you go north, the you know the the weather and the climate and all of the kind of the ecosystem changes in a very similar ways, like in Europe or in uh, North America. If you started north up by Alaska and drew of south down through Canada towards Washington and Oregon.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Canada and Alaska. And I was uh, I'm looking right now at the map of Patagonia, and at least on the chilean side which is the western side if you take that map and you turn it upside down uh it might look like norway to somebody like there's a lots of islands and fjords is the the, the landscape there very much like if you know a bit about the landscape of northern regions like norway and so on is it similar
0: yeah uh yes that west coast down south in Patagonia is similar to that. Lots of lakes and fjords and peaks. um, Also similar to kind of the fjord lands maybe in New Zealand in a lot of ways. Um, And that part of Patagonia is really challenging to travel in overland because um, the Andes Mountains kind of run right down through there. And the east side of the Andes Mountains is very arid and dry. That's out in Argentina. But the west side in... Chile is very uh, forested and rainy and, or more rain. And because of all the fjords and lakes, there are no direct driving paths. So, um, you know, it's a little harder to get around on that side of the mountains on the Chilean side. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's dramatic landscape for sure. And we saw, you know, kind of the edge of it in Torres del Paine National Park. And then for the rest of the time, because that's where the roads go, we were driving up the east side of the mountains and looking at everything from the east side. The other big difference I would say that you get in Patagonia uh, when you're talking about Norway or New Zealand is that up at the top of the Andes in that whole region is the Patagonian ice field. And it's the second largest non-polar ice field on the planet, outside of Greenland. So it's hundreds, or maybe even thousands, of square miles of ice that's just sitting up there, capping the mountains.
1: So there's a wide variety of uh, of landscapes there, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it's uh, it's you have different climates on the two sides of the mountains. One being closer to the ocean, and the other one being. Uh, more inland more continental right? so you need to be and with the extreme weather you need to be prepared and carry a lot of uh, clothes of different uh, different types of clothing or clothing i guess
0: yeah absolutely um you know it can be cold it can be warm uh the thing that's almost constant and relentless in Patagonia is the wind. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one of the things, if you do any reading about the region, going all the way back to the days of the early explorers, to mountaineers and climbers, and just today to adventurers, backpackers and photographers, everyone talks about the wind Mm -hmm. and it is blowing all the time. Um, And sometimes the wind can be very extreme. So yeah, having the right type of uh, clothing to handle that it also can be very rainy storms move in really fast um, and you just have to be kind of ready for everything also camera equipment the thing that we found was that in some of the high wind conditions even with a really sturdy tripod getting sharp photographs was a challenge
1: so did you ever had to camp or were you always uh, staying in houses and hotels how, how are the accommodations set up in a trip like that.
0: The Cascade Center of Photography. So Christian and Regula did an amazing job organizing this trip. The logistics for this trip are more mind-boggling to me. I uh, I'm really fortunate to be able to work with them, and uh, I don't have probably the same kind of skill that they have for being able to put together a trip that's that's that complex. But we were staying in hotels the whole time for this trip because we had clients with us and it was not um, marketed as, you know, a backcountry or a real um, extreme adventure trip. If I went back on my own uh, sometime in the future, which I hope to do, I would definitely do a lot more camping and backpacking and hiking because that's something I really love and, you know. But But
1: basically, you can can stay in hotels and still be able to reach some of those, uh, like the mountains, the Torres del Paine and Fitzroy. They are reachable from uh, relatively close to to a city or a place where you can spend the night without without camping.
0: Yes, yes. A little bit challenging, I think, to find places if you've never been there before. Now, the main areas, so near Torres del Paine National Park and up around Fitzroy and the Perito Moreno Glacier. Those are national parks. They get a lot of tourists, both local tourists and international tourists. And so there are towns, uh, tourist towns and accommodations that are fairly easy to find. Uh, the way we did the trip, though, overland and driving long distances between locations and going to some more lesser-known areas, parks and preserves and um, just regions – Finding good accommodations, I think, was a little more challenging, but uh, we had great, great accommodations all the way through. Great food, and it was it was really a enjoyable trip.
1: And how do you get there? Uh, I guess the, the trip starts in Punta Arenas, right? Is there a, can you reach that by by flying? Is there an airport there? How do you get there from the U.S., for example?
0: So you get there by flying, and so I left from. It was a, it was a long more than 24 hours of travel for me. I left from Ashland. My connections went to San Francisco, then Houston, then overnight from Houston down to Santiago, Chile. And then Santiago, Chile, we caught a flight that... Flew us down to Puerto, uh, sorry, Punta Arenas, and there is a, a pretty nice little airport in Punta Arenas. Punta Arenas, is, it's, it's, a, it's remote down there, but it's a decent-sized town. Uh, it's a port city, and there are quite a few ships and cruise ships and uh, other types of ships that come through the Strait of Magellan still. And so it supports their economy, and they do have an airport.
1: Great. And then you fly back from Puerto Montt. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so okay. we drove then north, like I said, 1200 miles kind of the direct route to Port de which is uh in Chile south of of Santiago and there we were able to catch the flight back up to Santiago when the trip was over.
1: Photographically speaking, what's uh, what are the highlights of such a trip? What do you do, classify as the things that you should never miss?
0: <laughs> well, like I said, uh, Patagonia has been mythic to me for years. First, just you know, with all the the stories and folklore around the uh, the climbing down there, and then later I started seeing photographs, maybe in the '90s, from people like Galen Rowell who were making early trips, uh, you know, down to that area, or early photo- photographic trips, I should say. Um, and so the the real draw. I think is the, well, partly the remoteness, but a lot, the, the really dramatic mountain landscapes and the mountains that are there are very different than the mountains you see in a lot of other parts of the world, just in their shapes and textures. And, uh, then also the, the ice field and all the glaciers involved with that. So there's a lot of glacier activity and um, you know, some of the best opportunities to get up close to real active glaciers. Uh, so, so the mountains, the glaciers, uh, and of course, just the, the extreme weather creates dramatic lighting on a moment-by-moment basis. I've, we saw and photographed cloud formations and light situations down there uh, that I've never seen anywhere else Mm -hmm. on the planet. And I've been, you know, in the Sierras, I've been to mountain regions all over the Himalayas, uh, the Alps. And anyway, so yeah, those three things together really make it a photographer's paradise.
1: So the light is pretty unique.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Super dramatic. You know, lots of, um, shafts of light coming through clouds, rainbows um, you know dramatic sunsets and dramatic sunrises um, and uh, yeah so all of that and it's constantly changing really really rapidly
1: I guess that if uh, you can say that if the light is not good now it will be in half an hour or so because the weather is going to change quickly
0: it does yeah I think just the way the mountains and the you know the proximity to the coast and the prevailing winds and because the winds are so strong yeah, the, the weather systems and the, the cloud systems are just moving around all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: So you, you ended up in, uh, in Puerto Montt, and then I guess mm-hmm. the, your guests uh, went on their way to the, back to the U.S. or to Europe, and you instead went to Easter Island. Is that right?
0: That's Yeah, so we had uh, the total group, including myself and the Hebes, was uh, 13 people. Uh, I think that's right, or 12, 12, or 13 people. And when we got back to uh, Santiago, half the group went there, back to their homes. And the other half of the group, uh, so six of us, six or seven of us, went to Easter Island for uh, a, one more week, kind of an extension to the trip. And it was one of those things. The Hebes are uh, – they travel internationally and they have been for, I think – Boy, almost 30 years, Christian has published uh, nearly 200 travel books of his photography um, in his career, and he—he's one of those guys where (laughs) you ask him about some obscure small country somewhere on the planet, and he'll say, "Oh yeah, that's a great country. You know, I did a book on that country." (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but this was there's not many places that he has not been on the planet, but Easter Island was one of them. So he really wanted to you know, do that extension to this trip. And it was spectacular.
1: How, how do you get to Easter Island? You fly from Santiago?
0: Yeah, so you can fly from Santiago. There, I think you might be able to fly from Peru, maybe from Lima as well. Um, and you can also, there are flights uh, that come from... Tahiti, if you happen to be in Tahiti, I guess, <laughs> you can get to that's Easter on, That's on
1: the other side.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's on the other side, yeah. So most people are not coming there from that way, but uh, I think there are some. But anyway, yeah, it's very remote. Easter Island is probably the most if, or, or one of the most remote chunks of land on the planet. It's uh, out in the middle of the South Pacific, and there's nothing else close to it. It's 2,300 miles from... South America. It's 1,500 miles or so from Pitcairn Islands, which are the next closest islands. Um, and it's really isolated. So, to get there, you can fly. Uh, up until the 1980s, you really couldn't fly there or you could only get there on really small planes that you know were a little harder to get there by. But in the 1980s, NASA actually built a really long runway as an emergency landing site for the space shuttle in case mm-hmm. they ever needed to put mm-hmm. it down in the South Pacific. And that bigger runway now allows uh, you know, full-size commercial airliners to get there. So it's pretty comfortable being able to fly there to such a you know, small remote place. Uh, you can, I, I think probably prior to that, people had to mostly get there by, by ship. By ship,
1: yeah. It would take days. In the best, yeah. uh, best yep. conditions probably. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So, what's uh, what about Easter Island? What's uh, great about it?
0: <laughs> well, Easter Island really is, I think, you know, all about that ancient culture that uh, I think you know most everyone has heard stories about. Um, that's there. The island itself is beautiful, but maybe not as photogenic. I mean, the island itself is, is not a photo trip in, it, uh, mm-hmm. in itself, I would say, to go that far. I think a lot of other uh, Polynesian-type islands are more beautiful because they're larger and are forested with waterfalls and you know, all the kinds of things, sandy beaches and the things you think about when you think about tropical islands in the, in the Pacific. Easter Island is small. It's 13 miles the long direction. Uh, You can drive all the way across it in, you know, 20 minutes or so, half an hour. Um, It's deforested because the Rapa Nui people who inhabited the island uh, about a thousand years ago, as they were living there, eventually cut down all the trees. So, um, And it doesn't have sandy beaches. It's very rocky shorelines. It's all volcanic. So the thing to photograph there is... uh, you know, the the statues, the Moai statues that the Rapa Nui people created while they were there, and they're unique in the world in terms of, you know, the size and art form of the statues, the cultural background and history to why they're there, and just their placement around the island. So, all of those pieces really go together to make interesting storytelling. And then I think the photographs, uh, you know, of the statues in the environment there uh, really intriguing to me
1: is it a, a destination where many photographers do the trip do you think or I, I i've seen a lot of photos but i probably never heard of somebody doing a, a trip there specifically for photography is more for research anthropological research and those kind of things or archaeology
0: yes like, yeah I think um, there are not a lot of photographers going there, which is another thing that really interested me in it. Um, you know, uh, Bob Christ, who's a famous uh, travel photographer, I know, has made trips there uh, and photographed. And there's been a few other photographers who have gone kind of on their own trips. Um, but in terms of like photo tours or just a, a kind of a stop for, for, um, people who do photography as a, as a hobby or a pastime, it's far enough away and expensive enough and difficult enough to get mm-hmm. to that I think it really prevents a lot of people from, from going there if they have to prioritize places to go. And like I said, if you want to go to an island for a, a South Pacific tropical vacation, um, it's really probably not the first choice that you would choose for that sort of a trip. So all of that put together means that, yeah, not a ton of photographers there. Um, but still still people getting there, though.
1: Would you, would you go back if you had the chance?
0: Boy, you know, it was great. I would go back just because I enjoyed my time there so much, and I think it's fascinating. I don't know, um, you know, how much more I could do photographically mm. there. I mean, there's always new stuff to do. I probably wouldn't prioritize going back there over – a trip to somewhere I haven't been yet, but it was very enjoyable and I would gladly go back any opportunity I had.
1: Speaking of places you have not been to, uh, where would you like to go next? If you time and money was no issue, what's your top destination at the top of your bucket list? So to say,
0: (laughs) well, um, Photographically, some of the places that I haven't been that I would really love to go uh, would be um, Norway and Scotland uh, or any of the Scandinavian countries in Scotland. Uh, and then also parts of Asia, such as Thailand and Vietnam and uh, and then uh, and Indonesia. <laughs> uh, those are places I haven't been and, uh, and Australia as well. So <laughs> I have a pretty long list. But those are places that really interest me. And, um, you know, there's other places that I would love to go personally, but photographically aren't as interesting. They were interesting, but you know how it is when uh, some place gets really popular. Patagonia has kind of seen that explosion lately. Iceland's seen that. Uh, and a few other places, obviously, the Pacific Northwest or the Western U.S. is is kind of become a, a place where a lot of people like to go and photograph. So... As soon as I see a lot of photo- photographs coming from a particular place, I still want to go there just for my own personal uh, experience. But photographically, I, I get interested or I'm drawn more towards places I haven't seen as many photographs from. Kind of like Easter yeah, Island. Definitely.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, absolutely. I mean. Uh it's hard these days to find some some place that has not been photographed to death. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it is hard. The the planet is shrinking a, in front of our eyes.
1: Yeah, and a bit of a so I would say a few people who are listening to this and are willing to travel just just do it. Don't wait because it will be uh, pretty much tourists will be everywhere. <laughs> hard to find a place where where there are no tourists. Uh, and, it is it is. Yeah, um a bit of a uh, specular question to this one would be of the places you have been to and uh if you were to go back to one of them tomorrow and again uh time and money were no issue where would you go back to?
0: I would go back to the Himalayas mm-hmm. the Himalayan mountains um in Nepal and Tibet uh and I'd also love to go to you know Pakistan and Afghanistan as well depending on <laughs> safety measures but yeah. I've I've traveled in the Himalayas a couple of times and both times uh you know, I I'm, I've never I've had wonderful experiences there but I haven't really accomplished what uh I think I could accomplish photographically. Uh, It's really challenging to photograph just because of, you know, uh, access and environment and altitude and weather and all kinds of things. Um, And one of the things I found when I was trekking in the Mount Everest region was that uh, in that area, most of the big mountains uh, are kind of to the, to the east of you. So in the morning, the sun is rising behind them and the mountains are backlit. And I was there in April and in the evening, when I would want the, you know, the kind of the late evening glow to light up the mountains, uh, the weather would come in and all the mountains would be obscured in the clouds. So I was there for three weeks and I have lots of early morning photographs of the Himalayas in, you know, kind of as silhouettes, backlit mm-hmm. <laughs> and with completely clear skies. And then no, no photographs of, you know, the evening um, Alpenglow light. And for three weeks to be there and and not accomplish any photographs like that, uh, it was, it was a little frustrating. I, like I said, I had a great trip, but I just felt like that's such a dramatic landscape and I didn't do it justice. Mm -hmm. And there's so many other parts of the, of that range to travel. I mean, it's massive, it's a huge range and there's just so much to see and photograph there.
1: Great. And, um, what's next for you in terms of uh, travel trips uh, or any other activities that you have coming up workshops uh
0: well i have uh i have some classes and workshops throughout the remainder of this year most of which are sold out this point uh, at this point but my next one coming up actually has a few spots still available in it's a uh, a photoshop image developing class for uh, exposure blending and extended dynamic range. That's going to be in Bend at the Cascade Center of Photography in June, uh, and then I've got some workshops with uh, some of my other colleagues. One in on the Oregon. Uh, oh no, sorry, in, in in the Central Oregon Cascades in August, and then another one on the Oregon Coast in um, in November. And I'll be doing a trip with my Photo Cascadia team mates uh, into the southwest of the united states mm-hmm. uh in the fall as well so those that's what's coming up in the next bunch of months looking out further uh i'm always adding new things all the time but in 2017 uh david cobb and i are going to be teaming up with luca Isenko, who's uh, from slovenia to do uh photo tours in slovenia and croatia a week in each and uh, i'm really looking forward to those because those are beautiful countries and really fun to travel in
1: yeah we might uh Maybe we might meet in Slovenia or Croatia one day. It's uh, so close to where I live. So, yeah, it is. A chance to meet one day.
0: That would be great.
1: Um, where, where can people go to find more about you online?
0: Well, my website is the, you know, kind of the obvious place, which is com, And also, I mentioned Photo Cascadia. We have a website. It's a, it's a photo team of seven photographers from the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, we kind of work together there to provide, uh, photography instruction and inspiration and, uh, just share our passion for photography with other people who like photography. So the photo Cascadia website, photocascadia.com, And then of course all the, you know, the normal social media outlets, Facebook, I have a Facebook page and Twitter. And then the photo sites like 500 PX, you can find me lots of places out on the internet.
1: You will, we will put links in the, in the blog post, in the shorts for, for this, for people to, to find you easily. And, um, so any parting words before we wrap it up?
0: Well, I uh, I would just say in terms of, uh, you know, what we were talking about today, both Patagonia and Easter Island, uh, if, if if any of the listeners have a chance to get there, I would highly encourage you to. It's They're both wonderful places, really great adventure travel, and really fun to photograph. And I would invite, if anybody has questions about either place or, uh, you know, things related to travel or photography there uh to contact me and you can get a hold of me through my website or on my facebook page
1: okay great uh i would like to thank you once again for being with us today it's really been uh informative and uh, and inspiring to travel to those places and there so they're there i mean at least patagonia as you said it's been on your uh list of places that you wanted to see for a long time and it's on my list as well and uh I'm leaving even further. So for, for me, it's probably even harder to reach than it is for you. But one day, maybe, who knows, I'll get there. And I I'll, hope uh, you- I'll use your, uh, your information as a, as a starting point of the, the things <laughs> to see and your photos as, uh, as an inspiration of what to shoot there. That's great. So thanks again and um, have a nice day and all the best for your next trips and adventures.
0: Thanks a lot, Hugo. Thanks for having me on.
1: You're welcome. Bye.
0: Bye.